Uh, good morning, everyone. Good to see you this morning. Boy, I wished everyone could be up near the front and uh, hear that harmony uh, when you're singing, and it is just great. And I appreciate that so very, very much. I think the Lord is pleased when he hears all those good voices uh, raised to him, and uh, thank you for that. Well, I want to echo what uh, Mr. McMahon said earlier in the chapel, and that is that uh, we hope that you have a great break, a good time of rest and relaxation. Forget for a few days about the fact that when you come back, there'll be two exams. But, <laughs> but other than that, you ought to be able to relax a little bit, and, and we certainly hope you do that. That's why those days are in place, and uh, we trust that God will bless you. And uh, Oh, just one thing, be sure all of you come back, all right? Just be sure and do that. Appreciate that very much. Well, John chapter 4 this morning, please. What I would like to do is continue, if you remember, when I spoke to you the first time this year, I believe the second or third day of chapels, we spoke from Romans in chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. And what we said from that is, that's, that's the will of God, that's what we want to do this year, that's what we want to do with our lives. And that is, it's all about, remember we said it's all about the heart. I mean, we can have, and you know this, we can have all kinds of stuff crammed into our cranium, and it might not do us a, a world of good or God any good, but it has to reach our hearts, and it's what's in our hearts that really counts. And remember, Paul said, I beg of you, I come alongside you, and it's the same word used for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter. I come alongside you and beg of you, because of all of the great mercies of God that he showed to you, we went back to chapter 11, that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Remember we said that that simply means to place our lives at God's disposal, to place our lives at his feet, and unreservedly say, here I am, whatever I am, here I am, I'm all yours. And simply do exactly as he says and allow him to do in our lives whatever it is that he wants to do. Sometimes it can be very difficult things, very hard things. It can be trials even. But still the proper thing is to place our lives at his disposal. And then he said, don't be conformed to this world or molded and shaped by all the stuff that's going on in this world, all the rotten stuff that's trying to change us and turn our attention away from God and what we're supposed to be doing and his will and make us into something that we're not supposed to be. The alternative is in Romans chapter 8 that we be conformed to the image of his son. And so not to be conformed by this world. Well, that's the will of God, is that our hearts are right and we do as he says. I'd like to follow up with that just a little bit. And if you're there in John chapter 4, I'd like for us to consider for a few minutes this morning how the Lord Jesus himself exemplified. Now, he hadn't given the Great Commission yet in John chapter 4, but how the Lord Jesus himself throughout his life exemplified the Father's will and exemplified what we're supposed to be doing from our hearts as we serve him in this world. That's what it's all about, that our hearts are right, that we obey him, and that we serve him and give ourselves to him as we travel throughout this world. I was thinking this morning 
Um, today, I'm headed, Lord willing, down to Maine to help my mother celebrate her 91st birthday. And uh, she's had, led a wonderful, active life in service for God. She was a pastor's wife for many, many years, so my dad went to heaven. And then she assisted my brother in his church and was a great musician and a prayer warrior and uh, 91 years old. And then I was thinking my next to the youngest granddaughter was born on my mother's birthday, October 3rd, and she is only five. And that's kind of how it goes, isn't it? We come onto this earth, we serve faithfully, hopefully, and then we move off this earth and someone kind of comes in and takes our place. And that's what's so important about you being here for this year or for these years. Because people like me, for instance, will be passing off the face of this earth before too long, but God needs recruits and wants you as young people with all of your lives left to live. Wow, I envy you in some ways. Uh, All of your life left to live to serve him. That's really what he wants, and that's how he works. And that's one of the things that, I, that I'm so thankful for about MBBI. Most of you know I've been here for, for over 30 years, but as I think about the young men that God has brought our way to serve here and to teach here, like uh, Mr. McMahon and Mr. Karen and Mr. Wagstaff and other young men, Mr. Little, who have brought our way because uh, Mr. Hogue and I and and others are going to soon be kind of passing off. And these young men are here in a strategic position to carry on for God. And that's what you can look forward to in whatever ministry God leads you to, a full life of service for him. And that's, that's really why we're talking about what we're talking about uh, last time and, and again this morning. The Lord Jesus' example of his own fulfillment of his Father's will and of the Great Commission. And in John chapter 4, you know the story. In John chapter 4, the disciples are away buying food for all of them, and the Lord Jesus uh, sits on the well there and meets the Samaritan woman as she comes to draw water. A very unusual thing in many ways, and we'll talk about that in, in a little while. And he sits there, and as she comes, he ministers to her, and you know all that he says to her about the living water and presents the good news of his gospel as the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's read, uh, as we know that part of the story, uh, let's read then uh, in verse 31, beginning of verse 31 of chapter 4. He, he ministers to the woman, you know that she uh, trusts him, and go brings, other, uh, go brings others to him. Now in verse 31, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, If any man brought him out to eat? And Jesus said to them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. In other words, what he's talking about is sustenance. He's comparing the physical sustenance that they went to buy to satisfy the physical bodies with the spiritual sustenance that kept him going. And he believed was God's will for him. He said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, then men brought him out to eat. And Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, and he challenges them, there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. 
Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and giveth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Bear with me, please, in the next few minutes as I make some observations from this passage in relation to doing the will of the Father and in relation to serving him faithfully uh, concerning this great commission. As I said, he hadn't given it yet, actually, but he had certainly exemplified it on many occasions, and this is, the one, uh, this is one of the ones uh, that uh, we think of the most when we think of him fulfilling the great commission. So let's make some observations. Observation number one about this uh, record here in John chapter 4, and something I think that, that should help us as we look to him as our example in fulfilling his will. Number one, Jesus placed himself in a strategic and purposeful location. I was team teaching with Mr. Hogue at extension classes the other night, and he was teaching on divine appointments, and he quoted the author of the book, Divine Appointments, Mr. Bob Jacks, who said this, Lord, open my eyes to someone who needs you today and give me the words to say. You know, that's a very simple statement, but it hit me right between the eyes. Listen to it again, please. Lord, open my eyes to someone who needs you today and give me the words to say. And what I need to be concerned about, therefore, is not what he's going to give me or how he's going to help me, because he will do that if I'm earnest, but to place myself in strategic and purposeful locations so he can do that work. This is a very, very unusual thing. First of all, as you know, for a Jew to even speak to a Samaritan, but that he would place himself in the way as our sovereign God, knowing that this lady was coming to the well. Now, we unfortunately do not have that privilege of reading people's minds and knowing what's going to happen in the future. But the principle is still the same. To be sure, and, and this is like as, as you go home, too, and go to other places other than NBBI, because this is kind of a situation where we all are trusting Christ and we all know the Lord and there's not too many opportunities on the campus uh, with just the group of us here to witness for God, right? And so it's important as we leave this place, even, in a, even for a few days, that we place ourselves in strategic and purposeful locations. I'm, I'm intrigued with, with the story of, of Queen Esther and uh, of the fact of herself putting herself in physical danger with the very clear possibility of losing her head because of where she had placed herself. She had placed herself in the palace, by God's grace, of course, in the palace of a pagan king. <laughs> and it's very interesting that she would say in chapter 4, when she was confronted by her uncle as to why all this was going on in her life and the possibility of losing her head and standing up for her nation, the nation of Israel, she said something very, very important. 
She said, it is for this reason that I am here. It is for this reason that I am here. Would you and I be willing to place ourselves in strategic and purposeful locations in order to serve him and witness for him because we believe that God is God's will and that he has placed us there? Maybe it's an unusual situation. Uh, uh, the missionaries that we hear, the Schmitz, the last couple of day, days, uh, Mrs. Schmidt gave her testimony at the People's Church prayer meeting Wednesday night where I attend. And a tremendous testimony. And one thing she said that really stuck with me, she said, I am one of the most unlikely, or I was, she said, I was one of the most unlikely people to ever get saved. You should have, and she didn't expound on it, thankfully, but she said, you should have seen and understood how I lived as a teenager and some of the rotten things that I did, and how anti-God I was, and even in my own little religion did not have the truth, and yet God in his grace reached down and touched me and saved me. You see, we don't know. We don't know. And one thing she said was this. She said, you never know who's going to come to Christ. Sometimes it's the most unlikely people. (laughs) And the Jews, if they were looking at this, and the disciples, they would be thinking, why would we go to that well in the, in, in, at noontime when we know some of, the, uh, some of those people are going to be there? Why would we do that? But the Lord Jesus willingly placed himself in a strategic and a purposeful location in order to fulfill the will of God, do God's will, and to tell people about the good news of the gospel. Well, second observation is this. This situation, it was a a difficult cross-cultural encounter. It was a very difficult cross-cultural encounter. I don't know if we really realize, we probably can't understand uh, fully what was involved here by him placing himself at that well and, and ministering to this woman of Samaria. But you know probably some of what I'm going to say next. But at best, it was a difficult cross-cultural encounter. You know that in around 700 uh, B.C. that the Assyrians came down and, and conquered particularly the northern part of Israel. They had around 900 after the reign of Solomon. They had divided themselves in two, and ten tribes stayed in the north and two tribes in the south. And the northern tribes uh, took Jeroboam as their king, who happened to be a friend of Solomon's and his family's, wasn't particularly suited to be king. The southern kingdom uh, took Rehoboam, Solomon's son, the rightful heir to the throne, as their king. And really, throughout the history of that northern kingdom, it it was a wicked, sinful time. It really was. Of the 19 kings, there were none who served God in the northern half of Israel during those days. And around 700 B.C., the Assyrians marched down from the north and captured that northern kingdom. And what they did, they, they left some of the Jews there, but they also left some of their own people there. And they were pagans. They were idol worshippers and pagans. They were worse than the Babylonians, if that's possible. 
And as a result, of course, there was intermarriage and intercultural relationships. Uh, the Jews began to move towards idol worshiping, the idols of the Assyrians, and it was a mess. And consequently, those Samaritans or those half-breeds or those who, who had intermarried became outcasts to the Jewish community and the nation of Israel. And that's the thing that Jesus was facing when he came and sat on the well and began to minister to this lady. They weren't even supposed to be speaking. And yet he encountered her in conversation and was not afraid of difficult cross-cultural encounters. Now, some of you have had cross-cultural encounters, and some of you will have more, and I hope we'll all have more. But don't be afraid of difficult cross-cultural encounters in doing the will of God. Think about Joseph, for instance, in Genesis chapter 50. When Joseph's father died, his brothers came and, and they, they reasoned together and they said, uh-oh, Jacob is dead. He's the only one that was holding Joseph at bay so he didn't do something bad to us for all the bad we did to him. Now that Jacob is gone, Joseph is going to take it out on us. Remember what Joseph said in chapter 50, the book of Genesis? He said, God, you might have meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And he was talking about that encounter that he had with his brothers and even being sold into slavery and all his life practically in Egypt. And he said, God had a purpose in it. God brought about it for good. All of these things occurred in my life, even though they were difficult, and it certainly was cross-cultural, right? Here he is living in Egypt and trying to get along with the hierarchy and, and, and all of that. He said, but God meant it for good. And my friends, even sometimes when we, if we give ourselves to the Lord and we serve him as he wants us to and we give ourselves to difficult situations, it may not go the easiest for us. It may not be what we think is the best. But if we follow him, it'll always be what he thinks is the best. And that's what's important. Even if it's a difficult cross-cultural encounter. And I think of Daniel, too. Uh, Daniel, in chapter 1, remember he purposed in his heart? He's in this pagan society as a boy. He might have only been 13 to 15 years old. He finds himself in this pagan society. It says he purposed in his heart to follow God and not partake of all the stuff in the world. And so when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we need to entrust ourselves to God. When you go home this weekend, you encounter someone that you say, ugh, that's an unlikely candidate. Understand that God may have something altogether different in mind and take advantage of every situation, as Jesus did. Well, let's move on. Observation number three. In this situation here, I want you to know, number three, Jesus was honest and straightforward in his dealing with this lady. He was honest and straightforward in doing the will of the Father, and that's what we're talking about, giving our hearts to God, and from our hearts serving him and fulfilling the Great Commission and doing his will. It's going to lead to all kinds of different encounters. And, and we always need to be careful that we're honest and straightforward with people as the Lord Jesus was. Look in uh, verses 10 uh, through 18 of chapter 4. 
This is his dealing, his conversation with this lady at the well. And uh, no, she said, she said, how come he asked her for a drink of water? And she said, I can't believe, as a Jew, you're asking me for a drink of water. Verse 10, Jesus said to her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. And she goes on to question that. And uh, he says, verse 13, whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then, oh boy, it gets really rough now. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, yeah, that's true. Actually, you've had five and now living with a six. Jesus was honest and straightforward with her. I think of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts when he came into Athens, remember? And he went preaching the gospel in Athens. And he used this altar to the unknown God. They had all kinds of gods outside the city as you entered the city. And they had this one they didn't know they were worshiping to the unknown God, he took that and used that and went throughout the city proclaiming the true God and Jesus Christ. And he was very straightforward and very honest with how he ministered to them and how he talked to them. Many, many years ago now, when I lived in Maine, one of my co-workers, who was a very, very good friend, but unsaved, the nicest guy in all the world, but unsaved, and we had many encounters. <laughs> and uh, one time, finally, in exasperation, he said to me, after we had talked about the Lord and I had witnessed to him, he said to me, he said, Bob, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to convert me. Huh, <laughs> good for you. You're catching on. <laughs> but he said, you know, here's what I believe. And he was a good man. He said, I believe I do the best that I can all of my life, and, and I think I've told you this story, but I do the best I can all of my life. And when I get to the pearly gates, Peter will meet me there. I don't know where he got that, but anyway. Peter will meet me there with scales. And he'll weigh out my good deeds and bad deeds, and whichever one weighs the most, that'll determine whether I get to heaven. So I turned around and I said, yeah, you're right, and walked off. No, no. No, 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 I take that back. Hold it. Don't go home and tell your parents I said that. I just carefully and tactfully was very honest and straightforward with him. And I said, Smitty, it ain't so. You know what the sad part is? About a couple of weeks ago, I read his obituary in the Bank of Daily News. As far as I know, he never did come to the Lord. But we took the opportunity to be honest and straightforward with tact. And we need to do that, don't we? And the Lord Jesus, of course, the perfect, holy son of God, he couldn't say anything wrong anyway. We know that. We don't have that privilege. Sometimes we blunder and stumble. But to be honest and straightforward, no, it's not true. Here's the truth. Well, let's move along quickly. I have about ten more of these. Uh, just kidding, I have three more. Number four, observation number four. The lessons to the disciples were pointed and practical. 
Wow, and the lessons for us from this passage of Lord Jesus fulfilling the Father's will in relation to the Great Commission from his heart, uh, very pointed and very practical. Uh, we read what he said, and they said, how come he's not hungry? What's going on here? Somebody must have brought him something. You know what? They were only really interested in their stomachs. They could only relate this whole situation. Even after he told them, they could only relate this whole situation to the physical bodies. They did not catch the spiritual intent and content and lesson. But let's hope that we grasp it and understand it. The spiritual lessons are very, very important. He tried to tell them, lift up your eyes. Stop looking, looking at the ground. Stop looking at the physical things. And take a look at the spiritual. Look at the harvest. Look at the whiteness, the readiness. In fact, the word already there means, means almost past. Almost too late. As I look at our world today and hear the presidential debate and, and all that's going on, in our world, isn't the term already a good word? Almost past? Aren't we almost done with this world, it seems? There's some good lessons here. Let me give you three lessons that Jesus pressed home. Number one, eternal values are the most important. See, the disciples are really concerned about, about something to eat. That's all. They've gone into town to buy food. They came back. He was not hungry. They just assumed that somebody had already brought him a meal. And that's all that they thought about. They passed by. How many people did they pass by who needed Jesus? And all they could think about was buying something to eat. And the lesson there for us is that eternal values are the most important. Secondly, the work is urgent. The work is urgent. I already gave you the definition of the term already. But the Lord Jesus was trying to press home to them. Look, we don't have much time here. The harvest is plenteous. The laborers are few, he said in Matthew 10, 9 and 10. He said, it's urgent. It needs to be done. And I know, and I'm done with this, I know when we go home that we really want to just relax and kind of empty our heads and do nothing. That, that's common. We've studied hard for four weeks. Well, you have, I haven't. You've studied hard for four weeks. You just kind of want to go home and blah. Right? Nevertheless, the work is urgent. And thirdly, the work never ends. It never ends. He said in Matthew 28, Lord, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age or the dispensation of this time frame or this era of time. It never ends until the end of this age when we're with him in heaven. <laughs> and then the fifth observation is this. The results were amazing. You read that for yourself, verses 39 to 43. Samaritans, Samaritans, those idol-worshiping half-breeds, Samaritans came to Christ? Yes, they did. In an amazing number. Both because of the woman's testimony and because of Jesus' testimony and confrontation with them. The results were amazing. You see, here's my challenge to me. 
And if you catch on to it, good. <laughs> but here's my challenge to me. Be open to every situation, every possibility, even if it's difficult. And in my heart of hearts, as I know the Great Commission, I know the will of God, I know it is to minister to people, that I be sure and that I do it. Because there's nothing more important than the eternal. And there's nothing more, any more urgent than people hearing the truth of the good news of the gospel. And you know what I think? There's only 60 of you here. Boy, that's an almost small number. Yeah. Don't I wish we had 500? You know what? I think 60 people can set the world on fire for God. It's their hearts. Where it's supposed to be. God bless you. Have a great weekend.